0: What's up podcast listeners, it is your host and this is going to be kind of a special podcast episode because for the first time I am not driving so I can actually look at the camera and two, um, I am not constrained by the time limit of my driving so I might go over the you know, typical 15 minutes or less in this episode. And you might notice I'm still in my car because I am uh, just chilling and waiting. And I was like, this is a perfect time to, you know, not be like reading a book, answering emails, or in the back I have my um, laptop and I'm working on my book. And little update on my book, I'm actually close to 60,000 words, and I'm nowhere near done, so I have a feeling that I think the, like, max um, amount of, like, the word count, I can't speak today, I'm sorry, um, the max word count, I think, when I finish, is probably gonna be around 80,000, and I've been still been toying with the idea of maybe having a print version of it because I don't know, there's something about, again, I'm a book lover. I love having something physical in my hand while reading, but also having the you know PDF version with all the links and stuff like that. So I, I don't know yet what I'm gonna do. I don't know when I'm gonna release it. I really wanna release it before this upcoming summer but it's going to be literally the best work you've ever seen me do. I'm literally so excited about it because the amount of knowledge I've gained the last two years when I wrote that first book, like I I never realized how much I knew. And I continue writing it. I'm like, holy crap, I can't believe I didn't put this in my last book. So I'm super, super, super excited to have you guys read it finally, consume it, apply the program um, in your next training cycle and everything. So super excited about that. The topic today is intra-abdominal pressure, bracing your core, breathing, whatever you want to call it. Because currently I'm writing this section in my book and I didn't really touch on it As in-depth as I should in my first book and I always feel bad when I start writing a section of my book that kind of expands on my previous one and I'm like fuck why did I talk about this why didn't I give more at the time but again as we grow up because you know I still feel like I'm 16 years old in high school Um, we learn more and we can give more to the world so that's the situation but Breathing is so important, obviously, because if we don't breathe, we die. Um, But when it comes to exercise, it is so vital to one, for performance, but two, for creating like a safety net around our body, especially our spine. So when you look at a sport like powerlifting, They, in my opinion, have one of the best bracing strategies for their spines to ensure that when they lift 800 pounds off the ground in a deadlift, that their, you know, what's it called? Their spines don't explode and shoot out into, not into, onto the gym floor. So when I am in the clinic, and i have a patient in front of me that is needed to learn how to properly create a diaphragmic breath i first assess them and nine out of ten times they breathe with their chest all of us fall into this pattern our lives are dealt with so much stress and we end up becoming chest breathers and then our traps and our scalenes and all these muscles around our neck and shoulders end up becoming hypertonic and they get super tight and we can't do anything about it no matter how much massage you get, how much Theragun bullshit you do to yourself. Um, They just are overactive and then you sit in a desk all day or in a car like I am right now and again you're stressed. You're you're clenching, you're breathing with your chest and your diaphragm doesn't move. And just like anything, if you don't use it, you lose it. I say this all the time. Now, imagine, because again, your diaphragm is a muscle, right? If you don't use a muscle for a long time, it loses its ability to function the way it should. It doesn't go to sleep or doesn't get act- it's not activating or whatever that bullshit that you hear. It simply means it goes into a state of atrophy, it's weaker, and it doesn't fire or function the way it should. So imagine if, you know, you never did bicep curls or never bent your elbow for, like, six months. It would be awkward and weird, and you would almost, like, forget how to, like, move your arm into a bicep um, position. So just like your diaphragm when i'm in the clinic and i'm asking people to breathe through their belly it's almost like their mind can't connect to their diaphragm and there's this weird disconnect and there's things where i'll get people like okay well place one hand on your belly one hand on your chest and try to breathe into the bottom hand and even then like their breathing pattern's kind of off they can't really figure out how to make that connection so then the next layer is like okay i want you to place your hands at the bottom of your rib cage and place it Place it at the bottom of that rib cage. I'm like repeating myself, I'm an idiot right now. Anyway, um, so the front of your fingers are gonna be at the front of your belly. The little like crease between your index finger and your thumb is gonna be surrounding kind of where your obliques are. And then your thumb is gonna be pushed into the back of your back, kind of like where your kidneys sit. And every inhale, you should be able to fill your entire grip. And I call this like the Homer Simpson choke hold grip. So if you've ever watched The Simpsons, um, you know that Homer chokes Bart. <laughs> anyway, and I just I just like to use that analogy. And ideally you should be able to fill that choke hold. And a lot of times people have a lot of trouble they still kind of breathe into their chest. So I'm like, okay, every exhale, you know, as you breathe in and exhale, Everything kind of collapses, and I tell people in that chokehold position, push against your waist. And then every inhale and exhale, every single time you exhale, you wanna push a little bit further. And it kind of comes down to this concept if I went to over through this freaking video and try to push you over, your natural instinct is to resist against me, right? So if I'm pushing against my diaphragm, the natural instinct for my diaphragm is to. Push against my hands. Again, your diaphragm does not have a brain and it's like, oh fuck, someone's pushing me. It's just like a reaction, right? And it's a great way to teach it. Sometimes that doesn't work. So, what I'll do is place a sandbag or sandbell that's about 10 pounds and place it on someone's belly. And then, now that we have a kind of like feedback textile thing on us, gives us a little bit more sensory information. And then, with the added weight, it gives you a little bit more stimulation that, oh, I have something and I need to push against it. So now when I ask a patient or client to, um, every time you inhale, I want you to think of pushing that sandbag or sandbell um, up towards the ceiling, it works beautifully. Now what this does, creates this kind of domino effect of core function, and core stability. When I lift something heavy, I want to create as much intra-abdominal pressure as possible to protect my spine. When I don't do that, I have now sheer forces and compressive forces going into my vertebrae, and over time, that's going to fuck up my shit, and I'm going to have low back pain, hip pain, whatever it is. So when I properly utilize a diaphragmic breath, it starts this like waterfall, domino effect, like I said earlier, of this beautifully orchestrated core contraction. When we don't have function of our diaphragm at all, and you're a chest breather, where does that stability come from? Nowhere. So now imagine you're in a gym, trying to push yourself, lifting heavier weights, And honestly, this is why a lot of people end up getting like hernias, low back pain, pulling their whole back out and crap like that. And it all starts with this foundational thing, our breath, you know? And going back to that kind of like stressful um, scenario that we all live in, and because we're not utilizing our diaphragm, that's heightening our stress response. Because when you look at it, again, our bodies are beautifully designed. Like, it's so well designed. When we utilize our diaphragm, it stimulates a cranial nerve called your vagus nerve. What is that responsible for? De-stressing your fucking body. So now imagine you going to your job every single day, sitting at a desk, and constantly in that stress response and you're not utilizing your diaphragm that's naturally designed to help you to chill the fuck out hell yes your body is gonna fucking hate you now take that a step further and you repeat that for like 10 years because you're at the stage of your life where you have to work all the fucking time and you're not exercising and this stress response just gets worse and worse and worse, and now it's affecting your sleep. And now you can't utilize your body's another natural designed uh, thing where it helps you de-stress and your sleep is broken up or it's not as deep and you're just in this vicious cycle of shit and you can't get out of it. And no wonder our bodies are just like holding on for dear life to figure out its shit to move on and live and be happy and healthy, right? And this is where exercise comes in. This is where exercise is such a powerful thing. Like, it fixes everything. Like, it's ridiculous. But we need to learn how to utilize our foundational patterns, like breathing, to actually get the benefit of exercise. Because a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm gonna go like balls to the wall every time I go to the gym and you end up fucking yourself over because your body can only take so much stress. And again, it goes back to this whole diaphragm thing. If this diaphragm is not breathing and moving and stimulating that vagus nerve to help you de-stress from all the stressors of life, then you're kinda of fucked. Especially if you're going to the gym doing burpees and med ball slams and ropes and then sprints and all that other shit. It's probably not gonna you know, go toward your favor of seeing the benefit of exercise. It's probably gonna make things worse. That being said, as we utilize a full-blown diaphragmic breath, we can then create stability around our spine. I like to utilize the analogy that stability is kind of like a safety net. The moment we create stability in our body, then we can get proximal stability with our arms and legs to create movement if we can't sorry distally again words proximal which is our diaphragm here core if we can't create proximal stability then we can't have distal mobility and stability meaning if i want to run and throw and do a kettlebell snatch If this guy in the center here does not work, then those things are not going to, one, look um, good, aka your form, and when you actually do it, it's gonna create more problems than solutions. That being said, when we do a proper diaphragmic breath, I like to use the analogy of an unopened Coke can, and I've used this reference analogy so many times. And I'm pretty sure I stole it from Dr. Uh, Charlie Weingroff that used this analogy probably like nine years ago now. So if you imagine our torso is kind of like a cylinder, right? Our diaphragm not only pushes forward when we take a deep breath, it pushes out to the side and also behind us, creating a cylinder effect of low back stability, torso stability, whatever you want to call it. For example, we take an unopened Coke can, place it on the floor, you could step on it and place your entire body weight on it, it does not go anywhere, why? The can itself, because it's designed like a cylinder, it's a strong, solid foundation. But on top of that, we have liquid inside and also a compressive air, so like the um, carbonation, that's stuck in there, so now when you add load to it, it is a strong little thing that can take, you know, if I step on it, it's 160 pounds, right? Like, that's pretty impressive. Now, let's take a second and open up that Coke can, pour out the liquid just a little bit, like one-fourth of a cup. Now step on it, it's gonna crush underneath that weight of mine or yours, whatever you want to imagine. Now, that's what happens when we can't effectively utilize our diaphragm, and then we go into a heavy lift like a deadlift. You know, right there and then, you're not going to feel any kind of pain. I always say to uh, patients, like, injury happens when the amount of force that enters the tissue yields. When the tissue is like, holy fuck, that's enough, boom right? Or how an injury happens is repetitive stress to the tissue. And again, it yields to that and goes, fuck, that's it. I'm tearing apart. When we don't utilize our diaphragm properly and create that low back stability that's needed to deadlift off the ground, we're just like slashing away at our vertebrae or tendons or tissues, everything. And eventually, you go, holy fuck, why is my back hurt, right? Take that a step further to more dynamic exercises, like running, let's, and I like to use this analogy, like Usain Bolt, he has such a great and like efficient system of being able to contract, relax, contract, relax, the best Athletes in the world can contract and relax their muscles faster than anyone else, and that's why they excel. So imagine when Usain Bolt runs his 100 meter sprint, the moment that his foot touches the ground every single time, his entire body creates stability, that stiffness, that intra-abdominal pressure because of his diaphragm. The moment in a running cycle where both feet leave the ground cuz you're like literally like floating for a second. His entire body is super relaxed, super you know like zero muscle activation, but every time his foot touches the ground and has to like generate power, full body body stiffness, right? Contract, relax, contract, relax. His diaphragm is so well-tuned and so well developed that he can contract and relax that quickly. If we, again, we're not all gonna be like Usain Bolt, but if we can learn how to tap into the power of our diaphragm where we can contract and relax at the right moments, then we can stay pain-free and our performance will increase. A lot of times when I work with a amateur lifter for the first time and, you know, they hit a plateau with their deadlift, and they keep saying like every time I go heavier, I end up with like low back soreness, right? And form aside, if I test their breathing, they're not very good at it, right? A lot of people skip the foundations that they need in order to perform. Now, going from almost like a rehab and postnatal perspective, a lot of uh, women who come out of pregnancy Have a real tough time um, getting their core strength back because they have one, they have this pressure to get back to their like pre baby weight type of thing. You know, they have all this pressure from society and this made up narrative in their head that for some reason, after you give birth, right away you need to like look the same way you did. Like, first of all, like, one, you literally just pushed a human being out of you. I think you deserve some time to, you know, rest and let your body naturally heal. Like, number one. (laughs) Number two, there are so many, like, mommy programs and boot camps out there that choose exercises way too advanced for a postnatal mother. Number one, every pregnancy is different. Everyone heals differently. Everyone has different anatomy. Everyone has a different um, labor process. So throwing in things like burpees and crunches and mountain climbers is probably not the best idea. And again, pelvic floor health is something I always talk about, but a lot of times it's not mentioned in the world of powerlifting and um, men, but pelvic floor strength is huge for these athletes. If you look up um, Chris Duffin from Kabuki Strength out in Portland, I remember chatting with him one time, and, and he was saying like the biggest change for him was learning how to utilize his pelvic floor along with his diaphragm in order to perform better at his deadlift and back squat. So if you think about creating that intra-abdominal pressure, that compressed air in the cylinder, if your diaphragm's at the top of your ribcage and your pelvic floor's at the bottom, when these two contract properly, they almost kind of come down on each other, creating more intra-abdominal pressure to create more safety around your spine and especially for postnatal women who come back to the gym too early or start doing exercises that are too advanced for them and they have zero um, intra-abdominal pressure, they're going to get pain in their low back and hip. Like it's it's not rocket science. If I don't have stability in the lumbar region, it's going to get fucked really really badly and i am like dumbfounded about our industry where i see trainers giving just such shitty exercises to people that are just not ready for them and again like yes exercise is great for you but i look at exercise as giving me longevity for my life like my personal goal like I get clients all the time like, oh, like, what are you training for? I'm like, I'm training to be a functional human being so that when I'm 90 years old, I don't need assistance. I wanna be able to go outside and take a walk by myself and not rely on, you know, a cane, a walker, or a little like scooter thing. I wanna be able to walk and live my life at 90. How do I get there? By doing exercises that won't fuck my body. So an example is, I've learned, I think three years ago, broad jumps fucking hate my body. I don't do them anymore. Like, what's the point of doing an exercise that I know is causing me issues? And I went down a rabbit hole to figure that out, right? So now you take all these general population people that were going to gyms, and either figuring their shit out on their own or just following a cookie-cutter program. And in that cookie-cutter program, maybe, say, the 10 exercises that are in there, seven are really good for them, and three of them are actually making them worse, you know? And exercise is supposed to give you um, better quality of life, better health. But if I am constantly going into a gym where I am doing exercises that are slowly wearing me down and slowly going to pull me out of that environment where i could get the benefit of exercise and now i have to stop because i'm injured it's going to be this rough like up and down thing where you know three months i'm training consistently now i have to stop for a month because my back hurts my knee hurts whatever it is then i come back but not at full capacity because i'm worried about my injury and whatever else is happening and then I'm not burning as many calories. I'm not enjoying the workouts anymore. My motivation might go down. And then I'm like, you know what? I've been babying my knee for two months. I'm going to go back to where it was. And then I get injured again. And it's just like this vicious cycle of up and down, up and down. And you will never end up seeing the result or just the benefit of exercise in general because you're constantly in this battle of trying to move and feel better, but you keep doing the wrong things, you know? And it just pains me to see that there's some trainers out there that will train based on their own interests, right? Like, I love using kettlebells as a trainer, but does that mean that every single client that I train uses kettlebells? Fuck no. No, right? Like, I see it all the time, like, a trainer that's more athlete based or whatever will start trying to train their clients like athletes but like get it through your head that most people can't train like an athlete unless it's their full-time job and most likely they haven't played a sport like a pro athlete their entire life in order to do those things right so this is a big tangent that i'm going on but it bugs me to see poor choices being made by trainers because usually it's out of their own self-interest and not the interest of their clients. I always tell my clients, like, you're in charge of your health. I'm just here to kind of guide you in the right direction. This is why I always, like, ask clients, like, what do you want to see in your program? A lot of times they're just like, you know what, I trust you, just do your thing. But eventually when I keep asking that, they'll go. they'll eventually tell me, like, you know what, I feel like My left leg needs a little bit more stability. Can we do a little bit more hip stability stuff to improve that 100%? And this is the other thing too is like a good coach will not only just prescribe exercise but also teach their client what they need to know. Like I can have a full-blown conversation with my clients about training and they will understand, you know? They will... Have they have the ability that, you know, when we were able to travel and they go to a public gym to train on their own, they can spot bad form. They can spot exercises where they go, I don't know if that's uh good for you type of thing, right? So I feel like as a coach, you do more than just provide exercise. You have to give them the tools to succeed in life when they have to do this on their own, right? Like, I'm very fortunate that a lot of my clients have stuck with me for years, years. I like to think that it's because of my, you know, amazing personality, but I think it's just because they see the value of what I provide day in, day out, month after month, year after year, right? I'm constantly trying to improve myself and I'm constantly trying to do that because now I can improve the life of another human being standing in front of me, um, You know what, this was a good episode. I think I'm gonna end it here because I could probably talk for another hour, but my time is trying to run up. This was a lot of fun. I think I'm gonna end up trying to do this more often to have a little bit longer podcast episodes. I said podcast really weird there. Um, Maybe I'll do something like this once a month or we'll see what happens. But I wanna thank you guys for sticking around, listening, watching if you're watching at home. And if you guys have any feedback, questions, thoughts, concerns, let me know. I'm always here to help. Um, You guys are amazing. Honestly, I am so humbled to see so many different, and I I forgot to look at my top cities, I'm sorry. I'm so humbled to see so many people around the world listen to me ramble. support me buy my fucking shirts and sweaters and shit like that and to have people like in saudi arabia or in india or in the uk listening to my show like so fucking cool you guys are the best so hit the show notes add me on facebook add me on instagram i'll say what's up and ask you what i can do to help and give me a five-star review on this podcast either on itunes spotify stitcher radio stitcher radio or wherever you listen to your podcast thank you thank you thank you guys until next time